James chapter 2 as we continue studying this amazing little letter that is just packed with power, you know. When we started the book of James, he talked about trials. And that's one thing as a pastor, I know that every time you teach, there's going to be people out there that are going through difficulties, you know. And so it's counted all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith it produces endurance. And so when you go through trials, uh, uh, just in the inside, deep inside, James says, um, you know, by faith, you can rejoice in your heart, knowing that God is doing something that's so amazing. God is producing endurance in you. We've been watching the Olympics, man, and we've seen these runners and sometimes or the swimmers or whatever it might be, and you're just tripping out. You're like, wow, they got like this kick in the end. They have this endurance that's so amazing. Well, the, how did that happen? It happened through much you know, trials and tribulations, a lot of training, a lot of difficult days. And so James starts off with that, you know, if you're going through trials, man, count it all joy, you know. And then as he goes through, he talks about different things. He talks about temptations. And he says in verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And so we're going to be tempted. The devil's going to come in, try to get you in different directions, but you just have to keep your eyes on the Lord and stay focused. And we all fall. We all sin. We all stumble. Thank God. The Bible says in Romans 5.20 that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. You know, thank God that when you have faith in Jesus that you're forgiven, you know, thank God for that. But let's not take advantage of that grace. Let's try, you know, to um, endure temptation, to stay on track the best that we can. So a lot of things, he talks about trials, he talks about temptations. And in one sense, what he's now kind of uh, uh, transitioned into is truth. Truth, believe it or not. And we talked last week about how if there's a couple of people that come into your church and one's rich and one's poor and you're, you know, focusing only on the rich guy, you come, hey, come here, sit in the front and you show them all the attention and you tell the, the poor guy, you know, sit in the back or sit in the floor, you know, you don't pay any attention to the one that's clothed, you know, with filthy clothing or whatever. James is basically saying you're partial and you're not showing love. And I think what he's kind of transitioning into is basically saying that there's some people like that who show favorites, who are prejudiced, who have that type of stuff, and they're not saved. They're just not saved. That's why they do what they do. They're not true. There's a lot of people who say they're Christians, but they're not really Christians. And, you know, you may look, hear a pastor say that or a preacher say that, and you might say, well, that guy's just, you know, being mean, and he's like this hellfire and brimstone type of guy, and, you know, this and that. And, you know, what, should we just talk about something that is just so much more inspirational and, you know, positive? But, but you got to know that at the end of the day, this is what it's all about. I'm doing two funerals in the near future, one on Monday. I mean, people pass. We're all going to die. And you have to know for sure that you're a Christian. Now, it doesn't matter you got the t-shirt. It doesn't matter that you went to church, although that's cool. I, I, I'm blessed that you do. It, it doesn't matter that you say the prayer or claim to be Christian. You have to make sure that you're Christians. And, and one of the things that we kind of saw there in James is it's really ultimately like the greatest sign of salvation is love. If you don't got love, you might not be saved. 
If you're partial towards some and not others, you might not be saved. And so, you guys, I pray that as we go through this, that we're not just, I don't think James writes it to say, hey, well, this is our soteriology, this is our doctrine, this is our theology. Although part of it is like that, we've got to know how we're saved and who is saved and how can you know that you're saved. But, but, but primarily the reason that he writes to the church is because he says he wants you to examine whether or not you're saved. Because once you die, you can't change your destination. It's either heaven or hell. It's either with or without God. And so if you're not sure, today is an extension of God's love towards you that you would make sure. And so look what we read here in James chapter 2. If you would go back to verse 9, because we've got to keep it in context. And he says here in James 2, in verse 9, he says, But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now we talked about that last week, how they're showing favoritism. If you do that, your title, your identification is a transgressor. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, and you might want to underline, he who said, because that's really the most important thing. When you sin, you, you sin against him, against God. He who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And so, so James is talking about a guy who's showing partiality. He says, don't do it because if you do it, you become a transgressor. And let me tell you what that is because he, he says that the way that it works is that even if you kept all the other laws, even if you kept all other, whatever, 699 laws, I think there's 800 commandments in the New Testament, 799 commandments. But if you stumbled in just one, just one of those, then you've sinned against God and you, by definition and identification, have become a transgressor. I think he's warning against partiality. I think that's part of the reason. But again, I think the, the main reason is because he wants people to make sure that they're saved. You know, when you sin against God, you haven't just... Uh, you know, broken a civil law or a federal law or even some type of global law, you've broken the universal law. You've broken God's law. And it makes me a transgressor. And if justice is served, then I will perish because of that. You know, remember who James is writing to. He's writing primarily to Jewish Christians. And these Jewish people needed to realize that no one can be justified by keeping the law since no one can really keep it perfectly. And so when you sin against God, you, by definition, you become a transgressor. Now it's interesting, the two that he uses, the two examples that he uses, he's a God who said don't murder, he's the God who said don't commit adultery. And right off the bat, you might think, well, I've never done both of those, either of those, but isn't it funny how Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, those were the two that he mentioned? He mentioned adultery and he mentioned murder. And what did he say about both of them? He said that sometimes you might not do it actually, physically, but you do it in your heart. Anytime you hate someone, you've murdered someone. Anytime you look at a woman to lust for her, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. 
So it's crazy, you know, looking at this Jewish, religious, moral. I think what James is trying to say here is, you know, we got to be careful that we don't think that we're saved because we're religious or because we're, we have a pretty high batting average. What he's saying right here is you, you're showing partiality. You're that type of person without love. Then you need to get saved. Well, I don't need to get saved because I commit most of the commandments. I'm obedient to most of the commandments. Oh, really? Well, the way that it works, according to the, the royal law of liberty, is that if you break just one, then you're guilty of all. And so we'll start there. We'll start there. I know most of you here today, especially at the 9 a.m. service, you guys are all saved. Most of you are probably saved, right? But um, it, it, we'll start there, you know. Sometimes you talk to people and they say, I'm a good person, I'm a moral person, I'm a religious person, but they're not really saved. And so James is trying to say, hey, that's where it starts. You got to know that if you just break one of those commandments, and it, Jesus said, and it can just take place in your heart, then you have become a transgressor. I, I know that I still sin. I know that before I was a Christian, I, I know for sure I was in big trouble. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, and you have to acknowledge that. You know, we're all guilty, and so we see here, as by definition, we're a transgressor. And so James gives us counsel in verse 12. He says, so speak and so do now, in the Greek language, uh, the way that it's worded is there's, there's an emphasis on both these equally. That's why you have the word so speak and so do. Not just walk, not just talk, both of them. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so we need to speak as Christians. We need to um, behave like Christians. We need to have the, the talk and we need to have the walk, right? And so when you listen to your words, does it show that you're saved? When you watch the way that you live, is there evidence that you're a Christian? And so you ask yourself today, do you, do, you, do you talk garbage? Is profanities come out of your mouth? Do you talk about all the other things except God? Do you ever talk about Jesus to your friends? If you don't talk about Jesus to your friends, I could be wrong because I know God is bigger than this, but it probably means you are not saved. Because when you become a Christian, you have a burden for people. And I'm not saying you've got to witness to everybody or be weird or anything like that. But there's this burden for the lost. And you can hear it in the language. You can hear it out of the words that flow out of someone's lips. And so James is saying, so speak and so do. And I, I encourage you guys to follow through with the way the Holy Spirit leads us in sharing and in talking and things like that. But, but he tells us, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Now, if you're not a Christian, you're going to be judged at the great white throne judgment described in Revelation chapter 20. 
okay? And God will judge you by his word. But if you are a Christian, you're going to be judged at the Bema seat, where there will be a, a distribution of rewards. And so James is saying, you know, live and, 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 and walk and talk and, and that kind of stuff with an understanding that one day we will stand before God. So there, there's something there. But then in verse 13, he says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. I believe, and most commentators believe, that he's keeping it connected to the individual that they didn't show any mercy to, to the poor guy that came in with filthy, smelly clothes, to the one who, you know, whatever, he didn't have that appeal. And we showed him no mercy. We, we, we showed him no love. And, and, and what he's saying right here is, is if you don't show mercy to people, then how can you expect God to show mercy to you? And it's all about you know, looking at our life and are you really saved? And you just ponder on these things and you think about these things, right? Um, but he says, ultimately, mercy triumphs over judgment. And so let's just say you're here, this is me, and I've done so many sins in my life, man. Crazy things. You guys, if I told you them, you probably wouldn't listen to me, man, because you're like, wow, he did that, and uh, he does that or whatever, and this is, my, this is what I deserve. I deserve judgment. But, but then on the other hand, is over here is God's mercy. God's mercy that he won't give me what I deserve. I think about this all the time, every day, to be honest. Whenever I pray to God, I always tell him, Lord, thank you that I fell asleep, that you sustained me while I slept, that I woke up this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you haven't you know, smashed me like a bug and killed me and taken me out of ministry. Thank you for the blessings. You know, thank you for not giving me what I deserve which is hell, death, instantly, forever. So, you know, when, when you think about the mercy that's provided when we receive Jesus the Messiah into our hearts, you got God's judgment and then God's mercy. He says mercy triumphs over judgment. So aren't you guys glad that he doesn't give you what you deserve? How many of you are glad about that? We're like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you know, because I know not only what I do, and what I fail to do, but I also know who I am. And so we're, we're looking at all these things, and, and he says, speak and act as those who will be judged by the law that, that gives freedom. You know, as a transgressor, when you realize you're a transgressor, then you plead guilty, and if you plead guilty, then you'll find grace because you realize your need for the Savior. You know, what, what we read then, I think, and this is a big section of Scripture, it kind of transitions to into everything the way that it should. You know, are you a transgressor by identification or are you a believer? There's only two types of people in the world, right? The saints and the ain'ts. Amen? Look what we read in verse 14. For what is it profit, brethren? If someone says that he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, 
but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what is it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so this is an interesting section of scripture. Um, some think it's like a contradiction of what Paul writes, but I don't think, I don't see any contradiction at all. Like you're going to see these things go hand in hand. And so all James is doing from a practical side, all James is doing is saying, hey, you got to make sure that you're saved. You can't just be because you know the Bible. It can't just be because you got scriptures. It can't just be, well, I watch Bible teachers on YouTube. It can't just be, well, I went to church. It can't be. There's a lot of people who think they're saved and they're not really saved. And so James here is saying, okay, you, you, you say you're saved, but, but, but let's do a little understanding of how we can really have an assurance. He gives this example of an individual who, who comes in and they're, you know, they need clothes, they need food. If a brother or sister, and this is even a Christian, they're naked, they're destitute of daily food. And it kind of reminds me of that guy that came into the church. Remember, we we're talking about this, keeping it all in context. The guy came into the church, you know, and then you imagine that you're, you know, so weird that, you know, they, they, need, they need clothes, they need food, they come to you and you just say, oh, the Lord bless you, my brother. You go in peace and you be warmed and, and be filled. Somehow, some way, some other person will take care of what's, what's needed in your life, but, but not me. I'll pray over you, though. And, and, and James says, what, what are you talking about? You don't give them the things that are needed for the body? He, he's saying, basically, that type of person has a faith that is dead. I mean, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, that kind of faith can't save them. That faith is dead. Again, look at verse 17. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now let me ask you a question. What's dead? What is dead? The faith is dead. That's what he's saying. The faith is dead. You're not going to help people. You're not going to love people. You're going to be partial. You know, you're going to be a profane jerk. I mean, you name it. There's things, and, and then you, you say you're a Christian. That faith is non-existent. You say you believe in Jesus. You don't. You don't because your life, it shows it. Now, James here is not saying that we're saved by works. He's saying that works prove my faith is to be real. You know, it can't be salvation by works, for that would be a clear contradiction of Scripture. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And just see how clear this is, what Paul writes. And I think we even have it up here uh, for you guys to read, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Um, this is a very important passage. Paul writes in verse 8 of Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. You can circle that, not of works, or you might underline the whole verse because it's such a great verse. By grace you have been saved 
through faith. So what is grace, you guys? Grace is God blessing you even though you don't deserve it. What's mercy? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And so let's just say I deserved a million-dollar fine, and the judge said, no, it's okay, you don't have to pay it. Grace is I deserve a million-dollar fine. The judge not only says you don't have to pay it, but here, Manny, let me give you a million dollars. <laughs> that would be cool, huh? Well, that's what God has done for us. I deserve hell because I have sinned against God. Some people say, well, I haven't murdered anyone or I haven't, you know, been that. I'm a good person. You know, I give $50 a week to the church or whatever. But, but you got to understand, we've all sinned. We've all, we're all transgressors. And so what ends up happening is we got to know, well, I'm a transgressor, worthy of judgment. But, you know, you place your faith in Jesus and it's just so cool to see that it's by faith, not of works. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what exactly faith is. You know, there's many uh, scriptures in the Bible that talk about faith, and they talk about belief. For example, you guys know John 3, 16? Do you guys know that? If you don't, you got to come up here and get saved right now. Yeah, no. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But that's the one that even the football players know, and they put it all over their, you know, their face or whatever. Uh, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's what saves you. Faith saves you. Believing in Jesus saves you. Um, uh, you know, when you, when you read the scriptures, you can see how important that is. You know, there's an interesting passage when you read uh, Acts 16, 30 through 31, when uh, we read about the Philippian jailer and he was going to commit suicide, but then he found that Paul and the guys were still there, so he wasn't going to suffer the death that he thought he was. And so you read in Acts chapter 16 and verse 30, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. So you just believe. When I got saved, August 20th, 1989, I just believed. That was a moment. Something took place, and I just believed. Now, later, we're going to see the demons believe, but are they saved? No. So you're like, well, Manny, what's going on here? There's a difference between believing here and believing here. There's a difference between believing intellectually and believing wholeheartedly or believing spiritually. I'm a sinner. It has to start there. If you don't believe that you're worthy of hell, then you'll never get saved. You got to understand that. But then when you understand I'm a transgressor, I need a savior, it's then that you can become a believer, what Jesus did for you on the cross. But it can't just be intellectual. It has to be in your heart. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's a lot there in Romans 10. Oh, man, I wish we had more time. You guys want to hang out for an extra hour? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Romans 10, yeah, that if you confess the Lord Jesus, 
What does that mean? That means that, you know what, I'm going to repent of my sin. I'm going to repent of my sexual sin. I'm going to repent of all the garbage in my life. I'm willing to let it go. I'm willing to stop the drugs. I'm willing to stop the crazy drinking and alcohol and drunkenness. I'm willing to stop that because I will confess Jesus as Lord. I'm willing to get rid of the pornography. I'm willing to give him my heart. You confess him as Lord. And then you believe in your heart. It's not your head, your heart. That God has raised him from the dead. That's, of course, assuming that he died on the cross for you. That's inclusive within that. Then you believe in your heart. Then you're saved. But if you're not willing to let go of your sin, yeah, I'll be a Christian, but I'm going to do this on the side, and I'm going to continue living in my sin. That's why you're not saved. That's why. Well, I said the prayer. I went forward. I used to go to church, whatever the case may be. But you're, you're that, that type of person is not saved because they, ruined, they didn't repent. That's why when John the Baptist came and Jesus and all the apostles and Paul, everybody, they had the same message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we're telling you this, and you may think, man, again, there's a hellfire fire and brimstone preacher, and, but it, it's just because we want people to understand the gospel and we want people to get saved. So, you know, what we see right here is, I like what Warren Worsby said, James and Paul, they don't contradict each other, they complement each other. We are justified or declared righteous before God by faith, but we are justified before men and even ourselves by works. God can see our faith, but men can see our works. Look at verse 18. He says, but someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So you have faith? Show me your faith. Well, how can, you, how can I show you my faith by the, the works by the, the way that I live, the way that I speak. You know, it's impossible to show my faith without works, but I can show my faith by my works. You know, Matthew chapter 3, in verse 8, and let me read it to you in the New Living Translation. Uh, it says, prove, John the Baptist said, prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, John told the Jews. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Some people think they're safe because they were born into some religion. Well, I was baptized when I was a kid. That doesn't save you. I was, I'm Jewish. That doesn't save you. I'm American. That means I'm a Christian. That doesn't save you. John says, man, God can do that in a split second as far as the physical things. He says, that means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. For even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit, there it is, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. There's a, there's a parallel passage in Luke chapter 3, and I was wondering if you guys would Please turn there with me. In Luke 3, because this one is the same thing, but then it goes on to give specifics. 
In Luke chapter 3, in verse 8, John says, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, Well, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so, have you guys ever chopped down a tree with an axe? You know, you got it there and you're ready to to swing. Um, There might be some here who think, well, God's not got his his axe on me. Uh, God's not ready to chop me down. And I always always think, well, yeah, more than likely, you're probably not going to die today, but you might tomorrow. I always think of Craig. For some reason, Craig told me this story about a guy that was my age, and he was healthy just like me, and he was running like I run, and then he died. And I'm like, thanks a lot, Craig, for telling me that. <laughs> you're, you know, you're healthy. You know, you're strong. You, you know, we have, unfortunately, uh, uh, by our house, there was an accident, and all, there's all these flowers and, and things that are set up at the corner, you know, right there. Uh, of a young person that was only 19 years old that died in a car accident. You know, and so again, I'm not saying that it's going to happen to you. Chances are it's probably going to be a little longer, but you always have to be ready. The axe is laid to the root of the tree, so you got to make sure that you're bearing the fruit of a Christian, which of course is love, and just a life of obedience. The words that you speak, the way that you live, you know, that shows you're a Christian, not just going to church. Of course, coming to church is very important because it shows that you have a hunger. It shows that you're being obedient to God's word that says, don't forsake the assembling, right? But, but it's more than that. The axe is laid to the root of the tree, he says. And so there's the thing that I like about this passage. If you continue reading, it says in verse 10, Luke chapter 3, so the people asked him, saying, well, what shall we do then? And he answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Kind of like what we're reading in James, right? You feed the hungry, clothe the the, the naked. You know, you visit the sick, those in prison. You're going to start living that, that life. Look at verse 12. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized. And they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. Stop ripping people off. Verse 14, likewise the soldiers asked him, well, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. And basically the thing about that is like every person has different issues. You're going to have your issues. I'm going to have my vices, my sins, my weaknesses. And you guys, we all know what they are. And all God is saying is, give them to me. Be willing to surrender that to me. Because unless you repent, unless you confess Jesus as Lord, then you can't be saved. You confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead in your heart, then you'll be saved. And so back in in James, in verse 19, he says, you believe there is one God, you do well. 
Now, one of the things about the Jews is that they were monotheistic, and they only believed in one God, hardly anyone else. Virtually no one else believed in that way. They were very proud of the fact that they were monotheistic. But he tells them, well, the big deal. You believe there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe that, and they tremble. But, but do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him or credited to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. And so when he says he's justified by works, he's talking about how we can see whether or not the faith is alive or the faith is dead. And that's how you can know if you're a Christian. You know, when Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son there in Genesis chapter 22, what a crazy command that was. But he had the faith back in Genesis chapter 15 that God said, I'm going to give you descendants like the stars in the sky and the sand and the sea. And he knew, if you read Hebrews 11, he knew that when God gave him the command in Genesis 22 to kill his son, he knew, he believed that God was going to raise him from the dead even if that did happen. That's how much he genuinely believed. And so in Genesis 15, it says it was accounted to him as righteousness. In Genesis 15, when he believed, he was saved. In Genesis 22, when he was willing to offer up his son, Isaac, it proved he was saved. And that's really where we're at with this whole thing. He uses Abraham as an example. You know, and then he goes on to give an interesting illustration in verse 25. He says, likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. You know, you have to ask yourself today, and I'm responsible, my, my hands, I have to tell you the truth, because if I don't, then my hands are filled with blood. Ezekiel 3 and Ezekiel 33 talks about the, the man who warns. You know, because... You can come to church and not really know the Lord. Is your faith real? Is my faith alive? The question is, is it a faith that works? Is there evidence that you're a Christian besides the fact that you have the t-shirt, besides the fact that you claim to be a Christian, and besides the fact that you have a certain amount of church attendance? Is there love? in your life. You know, and, and, you know, is there works? You got Abraham. He was a religious man. But then you have Rahab. And you guys know what Rahab did for a living? Does anybody know? She was a prostitute, right? So Abraham needed God, even though he was religious and moral, and Rahab needed God, and God could save her. And it's interesting what God did with her. You guys can read her story in Joshua chapter 2, when the spies came in and he spied out the land, you know, and then they hid with Rahab and she covered them on the top with these big leaves and when the authorities came to her house looking for the guys, she said, oh no, I think they left already. And then it's interesting what ended up happening when Rahab had the conversation with the guys from Israel. She said, I know your God is real. 
We fear him. We've seen what he's done. We know he's real. He's not just some figment of the imagination. We've seen what he's, what he's done to, to Egypt and the, you know, the, the two kings that were just the other side of the Jordan. And she was a believer, and so she hid them. And then she told them, as she let them down out the window, because her house was on the wall, she told them, when you come and you destroy this city, spare my family. And they said, they said this, okay, we'll do it in one condition. The only people that are here in your house, and you have to make sure that this same scarlet cord that is hanging out this window right here is hanging out when we come. And that scarlet cord, that scarlet cord is symbolic of the blood of Jesus. Do you believe in the blood that washes away your sins? That's what happened with Rahab. She, she showed her faith was real by hiding the spies, by sending them out, by hanging the scarlet cord. She was justified before men by the things that she did. And so we know she was a Christian, and even she knows she's a Christian now because of these things. And it's so interesting when you read her story. She's in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 31. She's an illustration of true faith. Here, she's an illustration of saving, saving faith. Rahab the harlot is even in the genealogy of Jesus. So just in case you're here and you think, well, I'm too good, I don't need God, Abraham did. And just in case you're here and you're thinking, well, I'm too bad and God will never forgive me, he forgave Rahab. See, God wants to save any and all, and he can. We just have to come to him by faith. And so we read the last verse, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And so and we've all seen a body without a spirit, right? You guys have all seen that. There's a, it's lying there. It's just a corpse. It's lifeless, Right? And so that's what James is saying. And even Ephesians talks about how at one time we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And so, you know, encouragement to you guys to know, uh, James is not teaching we're saved by works. He's teaching that works show that our faith is alive, that our faith is real, that our faith is genuine. Because clearly we read this, what Jesus did on the cross, that's all the work that's necessary. You guys believe that? Do you guys believe your sins were laid on him? Do you believe that he suffered the punishment that you deserve? Do you believe that he was then put in a grave and rose again the third day? Are you willing to repent of your sins and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior? That's what we've done. That's what James is talking about. And so praise God for us as Christians. We know the gospel. So now when people come knocking at our door and they want to give us this literature and tell us that we're saved by works and faith, we can tell them, no, that's heresy. <laughs> no, you're saved by faith. Works only prove my salvation. That's the gospel because it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so we can go out and we can share. We can have an assurance. And I encourage you guys as you live that life, and you would always examine yourself as to whether you're in the faith. That's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 in verse 5. And so again, again, I just pray if there's anyone here who, who doesn't have that assurance that you wouldn't leave the same way you came.